between the goal lines. I'm John Kazar on Twitter, KazarNFL, and joined by a guest, as always, as we're ready to kick off episode two. We had Anthony Trace last week with uh, PFF, and he does a lot of deep analyzing. We're also with someone right now who's done his fair share of NFL analyzing as well. His name is Kevin Boylard. Kevin, you're with CBS Sports, aren't you? Yes, I am, John. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, it's no problem. You know, I, I hit you up uh, on Twitter, and uh, you know, it was worth a shot. And I'm glad you returned the request because you're a very welcome guest, and we're looking forward to what you have to say. So, it's oh, great. I can't wait to talk about it. Let's dive into it. Let's dive right into what a lot of people are talking about. You know, like the top five, for example. And I'm going to give you my top five. And sure. this is this is what I believe will happen as far as who the top five will draft. Big board stuff's a little different. I mean, I think the first two kind of set in stone when you look at you know you have um joe burrow with the bengals you have chase young to the redskins i have okuda jeff okuda the cornerback going to detroit isaiah simmons the the jack of all trades linebacker to the giants and finally two out of the dolphins does that sound reasonable to you it does sound reasonable to me but the only thing i'm thinking there is you don't see any you don't see any trades Going down in there in the top five, right? I, I just don't like to project trades. I mean, of course they're going to be there, but when you do that, you're kind of you're getting messy, and you're likely going to miss on 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 who's trading. I think you know, but I, I think that definitely makes it messier. But are we talking about having a clean prediction? Everyone going to stay in their lanes? I mean, I feel like we could see crazier stuff happen this draft than ever before, considering the situation, it being virtual. I think that people are going to be trying to make their moves. And someone's going to try to move up, I think, in that top five. So I, I am, I am thinking that someone's going to make their move in the top five. Okay, no, that's that's what I'm looking for. Like you really, you're firmly in belief that there's going to be some trade in a capacity in the top five. Okay, that's and yeah. and, and do you want to give me? And we want to go crazy on this as far as time goes, but like any idea of who would be trading up and, and what kind of prospect they'd be looking at? Uh, the prospect to look at is definitely to a turn of our lower. Yeah, uh, some team is going to fall in love with him as a quarterback. He just recently revealed uh, his pro day workout film. I saw. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that as we get closer to this thing, you know, we always see quarterbacks rise up the draft boards. You know, if you there is a bigger need from these NFL teams than there is a demand. And so whoever wants this guy the most is going to have to move up to get him. Yeah. I know the Dolphins really want Tua, and he makes sense at five right there. But you don't think there's other teams like the Panthers, who are just behind the Chargers in the top ten as well, the Jaguars. Any of these teams could be eager enough to go up and make a move to leap the Dolphins yeah. and go get to it. So it comes down to it comes down to are the Dolphins, you know, in on Tua enough to secure that they definitely get him. They can't wait for five, most likely, and they're going to have to jump up to I think that number three spot where we've seen these reports lately that the Lions are looking to sell that 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 pick, and I think it's going to go to the highest bidder. Yeah. We talked about, you said uh, Panthers, Chargers. I mean, you know how much it takes when, when you get that high of a draft pick, what it takes to give up. I mean, you are, it's it's a lot. And it's just one of those things. I mean, when it comes to a future quarterback that you truly believe is the guy, I think you're willing to give up anything, right? You're willing to sell <laughs> Well, just whatever you yeah. can. And so I think, too, uh, and, and so, you know, again, we're, we're going to back off on the speculation of what teams and whatnot because you just don't know. But at the end of the day, is Tua really worth a guy trading that much up for, Kevin? I think a franchise quarterback is worth whatever you can sell to go get. And I think that those are teams, the teams I just mentioned, are all teams that are 
looking for that next guy. Because it, it's look, Joe Burrow. I think we all know it, it, it is going to go number one overall to the Bengals, yes. barring some completely unforeseen circumstance. Uh, you know, unless you really start to, you know, believe in the Justin Herberts or the Jordan Loves of this draft, uh, you know, Tua is the only other guy that has that glimmer of potential, at least. Of course, there's the injury history, uh, but he has that glimmer of potential of being possibly even better than Joe Burrow yeah. uh, if he's healthy in the NFL. Right. And so I think if you're one of these teams that does not have a franchise quarterback, that potential is absolutely worth, you know, selling the farm. Right. That, that's not the term I was trying to get out before, selling the farm. I mean, you're really willing to just give up what anyone looks at and they go, oh my goodness, but that's what you're willing to do for a guy who could be with your team 10 to 15 years at least. I mean, it's 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 one of those things, Kevin. That's good. Now, we're going to shift gears here to you know a position which I think is as deep as ever. I was talking uh, with a PFF analyst last week, and he says he studies has studied a lot of drafts in the last 10 to 20 years, and he hasn't seen one like this when it comes to wide receiver depth. So we know, we know there's a lot of day two value, Kevin. Kevin, but I want to talk about the Top Guns right now, where you rank those top five, and uh, Judy and Lamb, and what order do you have there, and where does it go from there as far as maybe who will be getting t- taken in the first round? <clears throat> well, you're right. This is an excellent wide receiver draft class, and there's a lot of guys to pick from. If you don't go- get one in the first round, there's going to be plenty of guys to be added day two and day three who could make immediate impacts. Okay. But as for the top five guys, I like CeeDee Lamb a touch more than I like Jerry Judy. I think that those two are the best. Jerry Judy is probably the better, cleaner route runner. But CeeDee Lamb is more explosive. And I think he can do more things with the ball in his hands. He averaged over 21 yards per reception this year, which was more than five yards more per reception than Jerry Judy, who, if you watched Alabama this year, uh, those receivers were running wild. There's no one near them. So for CeeDee Lamb to be averaging five or six more yards per reception than Jerry Judy and three more yards than the deep threat Henry Ruggs, I think that illustrates CeeDee Lamb's explosive ability, the way Oklahoma just tried to get the ball in his hands and allow him to go make a play. Uh, It wasn't necessarily the whole scheme of things, scheming the receivers open, which I think that, you know, the Alabamas who have Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs in this draft and also... Uh, LSU, who had Justin Jefferson and some others in this draft, um, you know, those offenses were just miles ahead of the defenses they were playing against. Uh, Oklahoma's offense was very, very good as well, but a lot of it was just the Jalen Hurts show. And when Jalen Hurts needed someone to bail him out, he gave the ball to C.D. Lamb, and C.D. Lamb came through. So I like C.D. Lamb the best. Jerry Judy is my number two. And then in between Judy and Ruggs, I would put T. Higgins from Clemson. I actually don't think that he's getting as much credit as he should, possibly because of a was perceived as a down season uh-huh. from Clemson. And I think that uh, T. Higgins was extremely productive, 27 touchdowns at Clemson, tied the school record with DeAndre Hopkins and Sammy Watkins. That's the caliber of receiver you're getting. He's played with an NFL-caliber guy uh, in Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. I like him right in the middle there at number three, and then uh, four would be Henry Ruggs, and five I'd go Justin Jefferson. Wow, you're really throwing something different in there, and I just, for so many people that I've seen, it's that some combination of Ruggs, Lamb, and Judy, and uh, and then Jefferson I thought was a clear number four. I mean, I just the way he moves is swift. I mean, he's he's very he's a clean runner. 
with the ball, Jefferson. But and again, what exactly is it that you that you see in T. Higgins? And, and I'm interested. I mean, T. Higgins has done it for a few years now. Last two years, double digit touchdowns. He's got 28 total touchdowns. He's played in each of the last two national championships. He scored a touchdown in each of the last two national championships. I just feel like T. Higgins' production for a very, very good Clemson team has been underrated. And coming into the season, everyone was talking about T. Higgins and Justin Ross as that top receiver duo. And then Clemson kind of lost some steam out the gates, and everyone forgot about him. I think they became enamored with what LSU's offense was doing and and the, the massive production that, I don't want to take away from a Justin Jefferson or a Joe Burrow or anything, but I'm wondering how much of that was just Joe Brady and that offense that he had installed at LSU just being light years ahead of everyone else in the SEC at the time, with the exception of maybe what Alabama was doing on the offensive side of the ball and with their passing attack. So I think those two kind of go hand in hand. You look at what Clemson did, that seemed like, you know, very consistent, multiple-year production uh, for T. Higgins, uh, playing with a very, very good quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I think he's, that experience will help him make the best leap to the next level. Absolutely. The most seamless. And, I, and I'm big on sample size. When you see multiple seasons of what T. Higgins did, it kind of just, it, it's it's more evidence built, and it's something more to go off of and a, and a level of confidence versus maybe like a one- or two-year wonder, you know what I'm saying? And right. so, and the sample size is huge there. So T. Higgins in the mix there. I like it though. And finally, I, I like a guy like Denzel Mims. Maybe not to be first round, but he has first round talent. Am I wrong there? I like Denzel Mims a lot. Uh, great wide receiver out of Baylor. Uh, made some spectacular catches this year. Um, I also like Jalen Rager uh, from TCU. Uh, like like I said earlier, there's a ton of guys at the wide receiver position that you can get on day two or day three. Um, but obviously all the eyes are going to be on those top five, you know, six guys in round one. For sure. We're shifting over here to running backs now. We're going into some of the three biggest positions, at least in an offense in the NFL. And does a running back go in the first round? Should a running back go? A two-part question for you, Kevin. I think there's a couple of guys or a few guys that deserve some consideration. Jonathan Taylor, the multiple 2,000-yard seasons at Wisconsin. I think he can be an immediate contributor and a guy who kind of floats an offense, as we've seen Christian McCaffrey do uh, this last year. Saquon Barkley did it a couple of years before. Even if it's not a great team, um, you know, the Panthers and the Giants haven't been very competitive. Uh, those guys have been instant stars in the NFL. And Jonathan Taylor is a guy who I think can be that player. DeAndre Swift is another out of Georgia who considers uh, who should get some first-round consideration. Uh, and J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. Uh, I think that those are the top three guys out there. I also think that they're that, – you know, those are guys that people are going to be attracted to, uh, feature their offenses around potentially. But how about a guy that you could bring in like Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of LSU, who I don't think anyone is considering him in the first round, uh, particularly because of his size. Uh, but he showed he can be a versatile contributor in a very dynamic offense. He's a guy who I could see getting selected in the second or the third round, and then you see him as a contributor for a playoff team uh, and, and actually having a very, very good NFL career or seamless transition in the NFL, uh, maybe not as a star, but more as a complimentary role player. And if you're a team that's maybe competing or a couple of pieces away from a, a, a being a Super Bowl contender, that's more of a guy that I'm looking for 
someone I'm trying to uncover in the, you know, in the second or the third round, uh, as opposed to maybe one of these top backs in the first round. Not to take away from their overall talent, because Clyde Edwards-Alaire can't carry a team the way a Jonathan Taylor or a Don DeAndre Swift potentially can at the next level. But is that the way to build a successful NFL team? Uh, history tells us it is no yeah that we can safely almost say no uh given some you know exceptions and it's it's man some of these guys are so electric in college and you know they can be good in the nfl but the way they're used is different you don't see uh you know the the cowbell anymore as much at least with 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 30 you know carries a game you might see 30 touches and deandre swift's a guy who may see that because of his ability to catch the ball but yeah i mean should someone go in the first round i Man, we're just in a different league right now, Kevin, and I think you pointed out how usage will be different across the board with different teams, and there's one thing you were saying is is a team that is close to getting maybe to the Super Bowl that, that, that can add to it. I'm thinking of all teams that were close last year. It seems like everyone already has their running back minus a team maybe like Tampa Bay. It's possible. I mean, Tampa Bay's got... You know they've got Ronald Jones, who they took, uh, I think, in the yeah. second round a couple of years back. So it's uh, it's it, they aren't out on running. And go ahead and look at the Patriots dynasty. I mean, you know who are the running backs of who who are the best running backs that Tom Brady has had in his career? He, he's not a big turn the ball around and hand hand it off. He, no. he wants a guy who's going to catch the ball out of the backfield. I, honestly, Edward Hilaire is a perfect guy to pair with Tom Brady if you're going to get later in the draft. But uh, you know, I always think there's teams out there that, that could potentially uh, take a running back. I don't think a lot of people figured that the Raiders would take Josh Jacobs when they did in the first round last year, but they did, and it turned out quite well. Yeah. Uh, if he didn't get hurt late in the year, he might have been the rookie of the year. So uh, I think that there's teams out there, maybe Philadelphia at, at 21. Uh, they obviously, I think, want a receiver, maybe a defensive back, but who knows? If, if the right guy is there and they, and they like it, they could make that move. Yeah, yeah, I think they like what Miles Sanders is doing right now. But you just, it's crazy. Like, we all have these, what we think these teams should do. And some of them are just, they're, what they're thinking right now, it's totally different. Not just a little, it's crazy. And, you know, then we get uh, taken aback come draft day. So, <laughs> yeah, Jacobs, uh, what did he miss? How many games did he miss last year by the end of it? I think he missed the last three or four games. Yeah. I mean, already had 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns. Yeah, he could have uh, cracked maybe 13, 14, and maybe would have had double digits. I mean, the way they were using him, um, for sure. And so that that's running backs for you right there. And here we go. We're talking about uh, a team right now, maybe one, and if it has to be two, that's fine, that really needs to have a good draft. And obviously there's the bottom feeders that, that they, their future depends on this. But one team, like you said, that's on the edge that a really good draft can put them to the next level. First of all, let me say every team needs to have a good draft, but some teams, I guess, need it a little bit more. And it's, there's one obvious answer to this. It's the Houston Texans okay. yep. need to have an amazing draft, uh, considering their off-season moves, uh, not just this year, but in previous off-seasons, to get them in the situation that they're in today. Mm-hmm. Now, they're getting laughed at across the board for this DeAndre Hopkins deal. And then to add to it, they make the recent deal for Brandon Cooks. Now, what they're left with is no first-round pick. They've got their second-rounder from Arizona, their own third-rounder, the fourth-rounder from Miami in the Tunsil trade, a fifth-rounder, and then three seventh-round picks. So with no first-rounder, you're going to have to nail every pick that you've got left in this draft to save face for what, in honesty, has been a laughable offseason up till this point. Yeah. If the Texans, if there's a team out there that needs to have 
an instant impact, you know, airtight draft. It's the Houston Texans. That's what I'm looking for. I think that's a great answer. And by the way, I'm a big believer in Deshaun Watson. I think sometimes he gets he, he dips out of the pocket a little too quickly and then tries to make um, a lot happen. I mean, let's talk about his sacks real quick. Do you think they're a product of the line not being as good, or do you think he creates them on his own? I mean, it's always a little of both, but which one do you focus on more when it comes to him? I think that Deshaun Watson is at fault for many of the sacks that he takes. Okay. His okay. offensive line isn't great. It's not spectacular, but it's better than it was a, a year or two ago. Um, Laramie Tunsil obviously was a major investment for them, and I think he's one of the better left tackles in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Deshaun Watson is a gamer. He's a baller. He's got the championship mentality. Uh, you don't want to take that away, turn him into a timing and rhythm game manager quarterback, and, yeah, maybe he'll take fewer sacks that way. But would they win more games? Uh, yeah. It goes hand in hand, though, because to win those games, he needs someone to get the ball to. And DeAndre Hopkins was that perfect parent. You know, those two ballers who Deshaun Watson can pull something out of thin air sure. to make an incredible, incredible play, and DeAndre Hopkins could be on the receiving end doing something just as magical. I don't know if you ask one guy, Deshaun Watson, to pull off all the magic now. Uh, I just don't think it's well. No, so. let's. Uh, you get two receivers for one now. So they brought. Let's just say, you know, obviously Cobb plus um, Cooks doesn't equal Hopkins, but you you have more. You have a diverse amount of weapons now, like four receivers that are B receivers, maybe some C plus. It really depends on your your analysis of a guy like Cobb. But I, I don't think they're in that bad of shape receiving wise. But you just don't think it'll be the same without Hopkins. He's been depending on him for a few years now. I just don't know if two B receivers, plus who knows, they, they should take another receiver with one of these draft picks. Um, they're not going to be a play for one of the top ones unless they find a way to trade up. Right. But I, I think that not necessarily two B receivers equal an A. Okay. Sometimes DeAndre Hopkins had an ability to just, that only an A receiver can do. If, if B receivers are getting shut down, by a defense, you need an A to bust the coverage. It doesn't matter if you have six B receivers. If a B receiver can't beat that number one guy, uh, you're not going to open well, up the, the B. Offense. The B can, just not as frequently. And how are you supposed to know when? And everything has to be right. The timing with the line, that play. And I, I get everything you're saying. Now, don't disrespect the B players, but what you're trying to say is the A's rise above a level where you can depend on them pretty much any pass play, basically. Yeah, I think I, I think the difference is you know the difference between Amari Cooper and DeAndre Hopkins. You know, Amari Cooper has games where he just absolutely blows up and has huge, huge production. And then he has other games where he goes missing. And DeAndre Hopkins, does. when you look at the cumulative, the final numbers aren't so different, but look at the game log. And look at the games that the Cowboys lost and Amari Cooper was absent. Right. And look at the games where, yeah, there's games that the Texans lost, but DeAndre Hopkins still got hits. And I think that's the difference between an A and a B receiver. Yeah. Or, or the quarterback's willingness to still throw there. I think Dak Prescott can get a little hesitant sometime, and if he doesn't see it at all, he's going to try to go somewhere else because he's been taught on offense that he has plenty of weapons to go to and doesn't want to be too reliant on one guy. But that, that is besides the point. Ultimately, across the board, generally, you got an A receiver. He's going to find a way to, to not disappear. 
you know, uh, unless you're, what about a case of, of Baker and, and what about Odell's season this past year? That that was a product of Baker? <laughs> I think it was. I mean, his numbers were down. I mean, no, the touchdowns especially. Yeah, it was a little bit of a slow start. I, I think Odell's got his own issues that he has to resolve. I don't, I don't know how totally focused that whole team was this right. past year. So, I mean, Odell still had over a thousand yards, yeah, only four touchdowns, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that the Browns were kind of a, a joke this past year. Well, they're and a unique Odell situation. Yeah, they are. To me, they're unique. I mean, they really should be good. At least, at least nine and seven, good. And, and, and it just doesn't seem like they can put together even a five hundred season. But the, again, I didn't. That was a little tangent, Kevin. I just, I just because you were yeah. trying to say a receivers don't disappear. Well, there were a couple games this year where Odell, as as highly touted as he is, and I don't think he lost any skill. Um, disappeared a little bit. But I think Baker's ball locations all over the place sometimes, and I have different. Uh, opinions on that. Jalen Hurts, he's kind of an enigma, Kevin, and uh, how do you see him panning out? I think I just saw Bucky Brooks say he compares him to a younger Dak Prescott, so where do you stand on Jalen Hurts, where he should go, and what kind of quarterback he could potentially be? I I love Jalen Hurts, and I thought he was fantastic this past year at uh, Oklahoma, and obviously great at Alabama before that. Now, I think the Dak Prescott comparison is obvious and also head-scratching at the same time, because we've seen what Dak Prescott can do in the NFL. I, I think him, or I think Russell Wilson and Tom Brady are the only quarterbacks with more wins than he has since he's entered the league. Yeah. So Dak Prescott knows how to win games. There are some limitations in his game. There's no doubt about that. But if you have him on a team with a decent defense and a strong running game and enough weapons, solid offensive line, he's going to make enough game-winning plays to get you to the playoffs and potentially win a playoff game. Now, I don't know if Dak Prescott has that, you know, Tom Brady game on the line in the Super Bowl ability to, to you know, when, when all is lost and you need your quarterback to pull something out. I don't know if Dak Prescott can be that guy. Right. He hasn't had the chance. We haven't seen it. We may never see it. Jalen Hurts, we've at least seen that in college, playing in championship-caliber games. Um, there's obviously the game where he got benched, and Tua comes in to save, save the day. Um, but then there's also the SEC championship where the reverse was true. So I think that uh, Jalen Hurts, to me, should come with more potential than what he's being projected as in this draft. Would I take him in the first round? No, but I also think it's interesting that Dak Prescott has the exclusive franchise tag right now, which would require someone to give up a first-round pick to go get him, you know? And meanwhile, we're saying Jalen Hurts isn't worth a first-round pick but he might be Dak Prescott 2.0. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, something there doesn't quite add up, and yet I'm still not here saying, oh, I would take a first round. I would take Jalen Hurts in the first round. 
Right. And, and so when we make these comparisons to guys, obviously he's making it off what Dak Prescott became because the guy came from Mississippi State as a fourth-round pick. The, the, the way they're coming in, it's totally different. Um, and it's, it's, it's what Dak Prescott has become. Real quick on Dak, I'm still confused about the guy. I don't, I don't trust him in a big game. I don't. He does make big plays. He needs to be, and it, it, it showed with a lot of the wins ahead of the game, and in the running game needs to be clicking most of the time. And so, and I know Zeke had a da- kind of a, a iffy year, and Dak, t- you know, with the yards, they had the most uh, total yards of any team. Didn't make the playoffs, blah blah blah. But I still, I'm, I want to see some more big games from Dak and Jalen. I mean, can we talk about you know the way he moved real quick? We had, we had two two more topics to cover, Kevin. Maybe ten or fifteen minutes, and that's it. Um, but you know, when it comes to the way you see. Jalen stand back there in the pocket. The way he he reads the defenses was there uh, an improvement from Alabama to Oklahoma, and you know from there. Uh, statistically, there sure was. I don't know if that statistical you know improvement will continue at the NFL level because they're going to be running a completely different offense than what Oklahoma was doing this past year. But I do think that you know. I think that Jalen Hurts can play quarterback at the NFL level, and I think he can play it at least as well as Dak Prescott does. Now, I don't think that any team, even the Dallas Cowboys, despite what they're going to pay him, uh, whether under the franchise tag or the terms of a long, long-term long deal, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that they ever really want the ball to be, or the game to be on his arm exclusively. Right. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't have paid Ezekiel Elliott what they did. However... They need the running game to be clicking, the defense to be strong, the offensive line to be cogent, and the quarterback to just make the handful of plays, provide the leadership, and, you know, every once in a while, the athletic playmaking ability that Dak Prescott shows. You know, he's got quite a few rushing touchdowns, too. No, uh, and, and his, his highlights for rushing touchdowns, they're really nice, actually. And this dude is tough. And a lot of people... You know, don't really consider that. You know, that that makes him so much more dangerous, and the Cowboys more dangerous and efficient in the red zone than many other teams. And that's what Cam Newton provided for so long for the Panthers uh, in terms of rushing touchdowns, uh, just being able or having the threat to run or dive over the top when you're within the five yard line. I think is huge when so many other teams, you know, can't get one yard on the ground. So. I think that Dak Prescott offers a lot. Uh, it may not be what you traditionally look for in a quarterback, and I think that whoever is considering and ends up drafting Jalen Hurts in this year's uh, NFL draft needs to look at and try to develop him as a mini or a Dak Prescott 2.0. Okay, I, w- I was wondering where you were going that when you where, with that when you said you know about the running game clicking, the defense holding its own a little bit, and all that. I th- so you. Jalen Hurts will kind of need that at least at least early on, right before comfortability starts to set in, especially. Absolutely, I think so. I, I think you know another quarterback to look at. It, it makes sense in the Dak Prescott, uh, Jalen Hurts mold is Taysom Hill. People are all about uh, Taysom Hill. Love Taysom Hill. Would love to see him get a chance full time as a quarterback. Sure, he throw. Yeah. So and he's an all around athlete. I don't know if Jalen Hurts can play tight end the way Taysom Hill does <laughs> or special teams. Uh, but he's at least athletic. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And so Taysom Hill, again, we'll, that maybe I'll have you on in a month or two, and we'll talk about him exclusively in one podcast because he is uh, he, he's a lot to take in, and, and especially after you know his playoff performance. But we got a couple more questions for you, Kevin. 
Um, and you may have already mentioned him somewhere, but who's your overall favorite prospect? Probably a virtual gem. My favorite prospect in this year's draft is Isaiah Simmons. Uh, whatever you want to call him from Clemson. Defensive player. He says he just plays defense when you ask him what position, or at least that's what he said. At the I believe line. him. <laughs> yeah. But he can play linebacker. He can play inside, outside. He can play safety. He can even line up uh, in some sets in the slot at cornerback. I, I think that Isaiah Simmons is going to have a seamless transition into the NFL. Chase Young on the defensive side seems to be that generational prospect with that, uh, you know, everyone's got him locked in at number two for the Redskins, and that very well may be the pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah Simmons ends up having the more productive or NFL career or at least rookie NFL season. So I'm a, I'm really into Isaiah Simmons and what he brings to the field. I like that a lot. Chase Young, too, I'm with you. But the, the thing is they can they can move around Simmons more than they can Chase Young. Chase Young, it's like pin your ears back and just go after this man. But tackles in the NFL are not like tackles in college football. So I cannot wait to see how he how he produces, which I do think he will do enough for sure. Uh, final question for you, Kevin. Uh, who are some sleeper guys for you? You know, there's plenty of prospects, so it's okay if you dish off multiple. Okay, well, let's. Uh, we talked a little bit about wide receivers, so I'll mention a couple wide receiver sleeper prospects. Uh, number one is South Carolina Brian Edwards. Oh. He's a really good receiver. Look up the catch he had against Tennessee this year as a catch of the year. I think that he could bring some electricity to an NFL offense in the same regard, but slightly different. Penn State's KJ Hamler, undersized guy, but incredible speed. And if you're looking at, you know, NFL's a copycat league. We all know that. Yeah. KJ Hamler brings insane speed. Kansas City Chiefs built their offense based off speed. They were just plug and play, finding four three guys. Uh, and I think that KJ Hamler can, uh, even though he's a bit undersized, he can make an immediate impact as a return man and potentially get involved on offense as a speedy wideout. So keep an eye on uh, Brian Edwards and K.J. Hamler. And then one other guy I want to mention as a sleeper is uh, Virginia cornerback Bryce Hall, who a couple of years ago led the entire uh, FBS with 22 pass breakups. Yeah. The first team all ACC selection, uh, but injured his ankle this past year. And I think he lost a lot of draft, a buzz, stock, and steam uh, due to that injury. But he was a borderline first-round guy. Uh, I think he still could maybe go in the first round if a team towards the end really falls in love with him or is in love with him already. Um, But I think he's more likely to be a second or third round guy who uh, someone's going to get an absolute steal. Yeah, and, and, and I also think cornerbacks are, I don't want to say deep, but it's, there's no shortage, though, this year. I don't know what your opinion is. Well, cornerbacks always is a weird one because uh, the guys who get drafted at the top don't always work out. I know. It seems to me like the the mid round guys, those those second to fourth round guys, always seem to you know have that stick or whatever that that, that keeps them in the league. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the Bra- the Browns got really... lucky though that with the uh, with uh, greedy was okay last year. Ward, you know those guys, and those were yeah. some of the top ones. But uh, guys like uh, we're going a few years back, and like Hargraves was was like re- like yeah. yeah that for the but whoa I mean just and there's others like you were talking about. I'm with you, but yeah, return to what you were what you were saying. Right. Well, 
I was just saying those top guys, maybe the maybe the expectations are too high for them. It's not like they're bad. A lot of them do bounce around in the league for a while, but just think about it. Uh, you know how many of these you know first round cornerbacks get second deals with their current Jalen Ramsey was traded, Marcus Peters was traded. You know they obviously have you know some concerns that go beyond their just their playmaking ability, but. Uh, I think that the first-round cornerbacks uh, are a bit risky, and I think that you can get good guys in the, in the second and third, hidden gems, so to speak. I think maybe people are so enamored with uh, the the athletic promise and potential of these corners uh, coming up from the college rank that start the combine that they overlook smart, heady dudes who end up having good NFL careers. That can make up for maybe a lack of speed with, with, with IQ and mirroring your guy is a lot more than just speed in, in the NFL and, and, and those receivers, they play games with you and how they approach their routes and the little, the little you know, tweaks that they do to their game. It's it's I love it. I love the battle of a receiver versus a, a, a cornerback and man coverage. I'm sure you do too. You're a big football guy, so absolutely. Oh yeah, and, and Okuda, I, I I am big on him. If he goes top five, I'm okay with that. It is a little high, but cornerbacks are valuable, and I do believe in his ability to stick with his man in the NFL. He's in my top five prospects, and he's definitely the best corner in this in this draft. And I, I actually think I got to throw him in there with Chase Young and Isaiah Simmons for having some potential to be the best defensive player in this year's draft. Right, and as a cornerback, that would be sensational. Uh, it's Kevin Boylard with us uh, with CBS Sports NFL. And Kevin, how long have you been with CBS Sports now, in, in some capacity? Well, I've been with CBS Sports uh, in my current role for about four months now, and I've been with the company CBS uh, for four years. Okay. Wow. Okay. And uh, and they keep you busy, huh, with some uh, with some good stuff? Absolutely, I've done it all in my in my years. I've done NFL, college football, basketball, recruiting. Uh, with this company, it's great. Keep moving along, and uh, we'll see what comes next. Yeah. So you know, what's the best way for people to you know check out your stuff? Do you want them to go to Twitter at Kevin Boylard, or is Facebook good too? Find me on Twitter, Kevin Boylard. You can search me out on on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, just my name and uh, Twitter is probably where I'm most active. So come check me out over there. I think Twitter and sports were meant for each other, Kevin. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for your time today. Okay. All right. Catch you later. Thanks again for having me. The draft is so near. We're talking just a few days away, and it's Kevin Boylard with us, featured with CBS Sports for our episode two. I'm John Kazar. This is between the goal lines.